your doubts and that you can handle all that, Lord. Um, I pray that you would help us to um, help you focus on me today and set aside everything else in life. Amen. Amen. This time the Grove kids are dismissed. We got K through five there and pre-K if they have not already left. I tell you, it was a, I love the picture of, I'll just call them out. I love the picture of George holding the little girl, his little daughter, worshiping. I mean, that, it doesn't get any better than that, does it? I mean, seeing a dad holding a small child, worshiping God, that was, that was, wow, that was just beautiful. Uh, 2,000 years ago, while Jesus was doing life with his guys, something blew them away. And at first glance, it's not really what we would think it would be. You see, it was not the walking on water, it was not the raising of the dead, it was not the curing of the lepers, it was not opening blind eyes or healing lame limbs that blew them away. Instead, it was Jesus' prayer life. Like they had never seen anyone pray like Jesus And they had seen people pray their entire lives. I mean, the temple service was all about prayer three times a day. And no doubt they had heard many Pharisees walking the streets in their long flowing robes, praying very eloquent prayers. But they never seen anyone pray like Jesus. I mean, wouldn't you love to have a ringside seat to watch the Son of God in prayer to God the Father? And when Jesus prayed, it was obvious that he was connecting with God in a very powerful way like no one else ever had. And throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus praying a lot. Before he began his ministry, he prayed. When he was attacked by the evil one, he prayed. When his schedule got demanding, he was tired and overwhelmed, he prayed. When he had to make big decisions, he prayed. Uh, When he suffered a loss, like John the Baptist, he prayed. When he was worried about his friends, he prayed. And when he needed to pull away from the growing crowds and his growing popularity, he prayed. When he was concerned about the unity of those who would follow him, he prayed. When he faced huge challenges and difficulties, he prayed. The Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 5, 7, while Jesus was here on earth, he offered many prayers with loud cries and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. And so Luke records these words. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Understand, a year plus into his ministry, Jesus reminds his guys of the prayer that he unveiled in his kingdom manifesto on that Galilean hillside, a prayer that we began to deep dive into just last week. I want to remind you of a few things. Number one, you know, the goal of this study is not to make you feel guilty about your prayer life. Instead, it's to remind you of the incredible reality that you really can connect to the sovereign king of the universe through prayer so that you've encouraged to pray more, pray more naturally, to pray like Jesus. Second, I'll remind you that when you pull it all down, prayer is simply communicating, having a conversation with God, your Heavenly Father. Remember that definition I gave you last week? Prayer is a believer's communication with God the Father through the authority and person of Jesus Christ, assisted by the Holy Spirit. 
See, we pray to God the Father in the name of Jesus, assisted by the Holy Spirit. Then I'll remind you of the reason why we pray, even though God already knows what's going to happen, even though God already says he'll provide for us, even though God already knows what's in our heart, the reason why we pray is, number one, because prayer is about relationship, community with God. The other reason is because, as crazy as it seems, God has chosen to limit what he does in the world through prayer. In other words, there's things that God wants to happen in this world that do not happen because people don't pray, and there are things that do happen because people do pray. Again, there's some giants that never fall, some seas that never part, some mountains that never move because we never ask God to move them. James said, you know, that we have not because we do not ask God. Amen? And, and, and the fourth thing, I want to encourage you throughout this study on this prayer. I mean, it's going to take us several weeks. Like we did two words last week, five words a day, all right? So, and there's 72, so it'll take a little bit of time. Okay, but encourage you to, you know, Use this as a framework for your prayers. Like each day pray this prayer, maybe stopping at a phrase, or maybe like on Monday you pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and you pray that throughout the day. Another way to use this is to to pray this prayer, repeating it over and over again with the rhythm of your breathing, like like you're meditating on it, right? You know, meditating on Scripture is biblical, as I always say, if you know how to worry, anybody good at worrying? Then you know how to meditate. You know, if thinking about negative things ever bummed you out and brought you down, then thinking about God things can unbum you, right, and, and lift you up. And so I think we have, do we have the prayer there, that slide that has a prayer? Do we, maybe? Really? Something must have happened. Security. Security. All right. All right, all right. So that's not going to work. If you know this prayer, you should know this prayer. God said I shouldn't have it on the screen because I should know it already, right? Okay, here's what I want you to do, right? Most of us know this, right? And, and despite how awkward this is for all of us, especially me right now, um, I, I want you just to take a few moments in the quietness and your mind just slowly with your breathing pray, Our Father who art in the heavens. And just pray it over and over to yourself, just slowly meditating as you do. Our Father who art in the heavens, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I mean, seriously, think about it. For 2,000 years, whenever people who have loved Jesus have gathered, they have prayed this prayer. In fact, this week, I, I caught some of the final funeral service for Queen Elizabeth II at the chapel in Windsor Castle. And some estimated that a couple billion people were watching that. And, and I got to tell you, I was excited about how many times the name Jesus was unashamedly mentioned in that service. I wish I would have counted, but I, I didn't. And there was a point in, in that service 
where all those gathered recited the Lord's Prayer. And like instantly, you just feel, even though I'm on a TV screen in my living room, instantly you just felt this unity and this power washing over you as I'm joining with the prayer on the other side of the world. There's something powerful about this prayer. And it's so crazy and so Jesus that he can pack so much meaning and power in just 72 words. And listen, the truths, the concepts, the insights that Jesus packed into this prayer contain the power to mold and reshape our lives entirely, our individual lives, our church life, our community, our world. Overstatement? Exaggeration? I don't think so. Now understand, the coming weeks, as we dive down in this 2,000-year-old prayer, we're going to see that not only is this a great template for prayer, we'll also see that it's so much more. We'll see that it is a means, a key, a pathway to living the life we're created to live and becoming the people God intended us to be. The last Sunday, we unpacked the first two words of the prayer, the word our and the word Father. Now understand, Jesus could not have started out this prayer any better than to use the word hour. I mean, in a single word, Jesus calls us together and unleashes the power of hour. Hour speaks of our shared experience, shared ownership. Hour speaks of community, of relationship. Where me and my produces isolation and loneliness, hour produces community and family. Our teaches us that we are not the only child in this family, that we're part of something so much bigger than we are, it teaches us that it's not just about me and my personal relationship with Jesus, though I have one, but it's about us and our. Our breaks down walls, creates community, diffuses conflict, empowers God's dreams for us to become reality. Our meets our innate needs to both be known and to be accepted. Listen, while some may prefer a more private faith, Perhaps even praying, my Father, the Lord's Prayer calls us to a corporate life. Life shared with others. A life in which God works through each of us to bless all of us. Amen? Our Father. No one before Jesus ever addressed God as Father or prayed to God as Father. And that's hard for us to get how powerful that was. You know, 2,000 years on the other side of that prayer, on the other side of Jesus. But this is a radical shift in God's people's relationship with him. Yes, God is a sovereign king of the universe, but you and I can approach him confidently because we are his kids. Get it? Good. John writes, how great is the love the Father's lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Now understand, the combination of these two terms, our Father, binds us together in family and refuses to validate private faith. It acknowledges a new community, a family in which we're a part of. Yes, our faith finds its root and footing in our Father, an inch of lettering that bridges our seclusion from each other and from the Lord. It declares good news and reorders the foundation of our lives. Life's now lived in the context of love and family. Life's now marked by security and companionship. Life's now devoted to grace and mutual support. 
This morning, just five words of the Lord's Prayer. Who art in the heavens? Now about you, about the, probably the first 30 plus years I prayed the Lord's Prayer, I always prayed our Father who art in heaven. You know, our Father who is in his dwelling place. And then one day, many years ago, I can't remember when, I was doing a study on Matthew 6, and I discovered that the Greek word for heaven, uranos, where we get the word for which planet you think? Uranus, right? He says that that word is plural, not singular. See, Jesus said, our Father who art in the heavens. And the very moment I saw that, that the word heavens was plural, I was like, oh my gosh. No way. That is so incredible. Now, what's the significance of the word heavens being plural? Well, to really grasp the significance, we need to understand that the Jewish concept at the time of Christ was that there were three heavens, right? You had the first heaven, and, and the first heaven is the atmosphere, it's the sky, it's the place where the birds fly, where it's the air that we breathe. You had the second heaven. The second heaven is where the planets and stars are. And the third heaven would be the dwelling place of God. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about how he was called up into the third heaven. So first heaven is the air we breathe. Right here is the first heaven. Where the stars and galaxies are, that's the second heaven. And God's abode is the third heaven. Listen, Jesus is very intentional when he gave us this prayer. The word our calls us in the community. The word father invites us in intimacy with our creator. And the words who art in heaven reminds us of three very important things about our father. That he is great. That he is near. And that more is going on in this world than our eyes can see. Our father is great. Have things in your life ever seemed too big for you? Like, have you ever faced something, a challenge, a difficulty, a situation that like a Midwestern tornado came out of nowhere and threatened all that you have worked for or cared about? Have you ever dreamed dreams that stirred your heart but seemed out of reach? Have you ever been afraid, confused, uncertain, unsure of what the future holds? Have you ever wished that you were bigger, stronger, faster, smarter, braver, or wiser? I don't know about you, but I've felt all those feelings before. The truth is, many times life just seems too big for me. I mean, let's face it, this world isn't the safest place for you and I to pitch our tent. And I know that I'm not alone in this road that I'm traveling. I understand most of us face great problems, great difficulties, and great challenges. And not only that, we have this burning desire to dream dreams and have hopes that are much greater than we are. Again, we're not alone. Many others have traveled this road. I mean, throughout the scriptures, we see people on that road of uncertainty. Abraham is called to leave everything he knew to become the father of a new nation. Joseph, the little brother, dreams of saving his family, the world, from a famine. Moses is asked to overcome his insecurity and lead God's people out of slavery. 
David faces a giant that's larger than him and a crazy king who is trying to kill him. Josiah, a teenager, becomes king and is asked to turn back the nation that had turned their backs on God. Esther, an orphan girl, becomes queen and then has to put her life on the line to save her people from genocide. Three men are asked to trust God even while literally thrown into a fiery furnace. Uh, Peter was challenged not only to not fear the storm and the waves around him, but to step out of the safety of the boat and to walk on water. Uh, A group of frightened, unstable, uneducated, defeated, financially challenged men were told to take the gospel throughout the known world. And Paul, after an encounter with Jesus, was commanded to join the people he's hunting down and then take the gospel to the Gentiles, people he had despised his entire life. And listen, what these people needed, and what we need as well, is not a great pep talk, not great philosophy. What we need is a great God. And in those words, our Father who art in the heavens, Jesus reminds us that our God is bigger and far above creation. He reminds us of the greatness of our Father who reigns and rules and holds together the heavens. Check out these words from Isaiah. And Isaiah 40, that speak of the greatness of God. Who has measured the oceans in the palm of his hand? And anybody here? You do that? Who has used his hand to measure the sky? Who has used a bowl to measure all the dust of the earth and scales the way the mountains and hills? The nations are like one small drop in a bucket. They're no more than dust. On his measuring scales. To him, the islands are no more than fine dust on his scales. God sits on his throne above the circle of the earth, and compared to him, people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the skies like a piece of cloth and spreads them out like a tent to sit under. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. He says, Oh, these rulers, they're like plants that are placed in the ground, like seeds that are planted. And as soon as they begin to grow strong, he blows on them, and they die, and the wind blows them away like chaff. God the Holy One says, can you compare me to anyone? Is anyone equal to me? Look up to the skies. Who created all these stars? He leads out the army of heaven one by one and calls all the stars by name. Because he's strong and powerful, not one of them is missing. Seriously, have you ever thought about How awesome, how great, how amazing, how powerful, how huge, and how indescribable our God is. There's no one like him. To to who can you compare him? Who's his equal? I'll tell you, no one. Man, I think David really nailed it 3,000 years ago in Psalm 19 when he said, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the works of his hands are speaking day after day, night after night, making his greatness known, telling all how awesome our God is. I mean, think about the planet we live on. Earth is a big hunk of rock, 24,000 miles around. Yet one million Earths would fit inside the sun. The sun is our closest star, 93 million miles away. It's pretty big. I mean, it warms our whole planet. But as big as the sun is, there's some stars so big that 500 million suns would fit inside of them. The nearest star to the earth is Alpha Centauri. It's four and a half light years away. One light year is six trillion miles. 
kind of tells you how big that number they throw around a trillion is, right? This means if you travel the speed of light, even though you'd reach the moon in one and a half seconds, the sun in eight and a half minutes, it would take you four and a half years to reach Alpha Centauri, our closest star. If you travel 24,000 miles an hour, it would take 120,000 years to get there. Or here's another way to look at our closest star. Like if you put, like if the earth was on our stage, the furthest planet would be at the end of our parking lot, and the closest star would be in Baltimore, right? That's the distance. That's the perspective. The star Betelgeuse is 520 light years away. It's one of the brightest stars of Orion's belt. Its diameter is 310 million miles, which means if it was hollow, the earth could revolve around the sun inside of this one star. Our solar system is part of a galaxy called the Milky Way. It's 100,000 light years in diameter. That's somewhere between 750 billion and 1 trillion stars. And the Milky Way is just one of 125 billion galaxies, according to the Hubble Space Telescope. Here's like a picture of 50,000 of those galaxies, right? Here we are. And this is something, that right there is 100,000 light years, the Milky Way. Insane. The closest galaxy to us is Canis Majoris Dwarf Galaxy. It's 25,000 light years away. The furthest star is called HD1, at least right now. It's 13.5 billion light years away. Our Father who art in the heavens. Are you kidding me? Our Father created all this. Our, our Father holds all this together. And our Father is present in all of this. Does that blow your minds? It blows mine. That's insane. If it's true, it's like a big deal. I like what John Piper writes. He says, sometimes people stumble, stumble over the vastness, this vastness in relation to the apparent insignificance of man. It does seem to make us very small. But the meaning of this magnitude is not mainly about us, it's about God. The reason for wasting so much space on a universe to house a speck of humanity is to make a point about our maker, not to make a point about us. And the point it makes about our maker is that our maker is great. No wonder the psalmist cries out in Psalm 145.3, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. I can't fathom this. I can't fathom these galaxies and their sizes. I can't fathom stars that hold 50 million suns in them. I can't fathom it. What an amazing God we have. Amen? How great is our God. Amen? And we're going to do something just because we're going to do it. And, and, and would you all stand? No risk it, no biscuit, right? <laughs> and we're going to sing a song a cappella. We did Amazing Grace. You crushed it the other week. And we're going to pop this in just a second. Anybody know this song? How Great Thou Art? Okay. Lauren's going to start us off. So at least we start off on the key. I can't even find the keys in my car, let alone keys to sing, right? Uh, uh, but, again, think about 
Our God spoke these things into existence. That there's no mountain he cannot move, no giant he cannot slay as we sing this song together. One, two, three, go for it. Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art. How great Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. Amen. God, you're great. And just one more thing about the heavens declaring God's glory. The Whirlpool Galaxy was discovered in 1773. It's 37 million light years away. And not too long ago, the Hubble Space Telescope took a picture of the core of the Whirlpool Galaxy. And this core is 1,100 light years in size. So, like, we're talking a super big core. And it's in a shape. I don't know if you know what the shape of the core. And see, God got us fascinated with what it looked like for, for decades. And then when we could actually see the center, he said, oh, I got something to show you. Here's the core of the Whirlpool Galaxy right there. What does that look like to you? A cross? Is that an accident? No way. It's a message. It's a statement about God, about his greatness, about Christ, and about his love and his grace. Maple Grove, our God is great. He spoke and that, what, and that which was not was. Out of nothing, he created everything. And he did it in six days, according to his word. God has always existed. Tell me that doesn't blow your mind. He's never been tired, confused, overwhelmed, taken by surprise, or faced a situation he could not handle. As I always like to pray, there's no mountain he cannot move. There's no sea he cannot part. There's no giant he cannot slay. Nothing is impossible for our Father who's all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present. His power is constant. His love is secure. His character is true. His will is being done. And he is bigger than we thought he was. Amen? Our Father is before all things, over all things, and our Father holds all things together. The sun, he made it. The oceans, he tells them where to go. The stars and distant galaxies, he hung them there. The trees, mountains, rivers, waterfalls, snowflakes, lakes, fish, birds, insects, life. Yeah, they are all his too. And hope by now you're, you're hearing what I'm trying to say, that our God is great. And whenever I just 
when I zero in on this greatness, <clears throat> I'm just blown away. And it always is so awesome to me to remind myself of how great he is those times when I feel very, very small. <clears throat> I understand if God created everything in the universe, and he did, if God can hold the oceans in the palm of his hands, and he does, if God can reduce the rulers of this age to nothing, and he can, then he can handle whatever you and I are going through. Amen? I mean, seriously? Like, billions of galaxies? Oh, I, I got a big problem. God, I don't think you can handle it. Seriously? He's great and our Father is near. Yes, our Father's in the heavens. Whenever you pray to him, he's in the third heaven. He's in his heavenly dwelling. He's in the second heaven where the stars and galaxies are. And he's also in the first heaven right here with us. You see, when you say our Father who art in the heavens, you're not saying our Father from a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. You're not saying our Father who's only in his heavenly dwelling, wherever that is, far away from us. Instead, you're saying our Father who's all around us. Our Father who's the maker and creator of all things, who's as close as the air that we breathe, who's here right now with us where we are. In Acts 17, Paul's debating with the philosophers in, in Athens, and he says, hey, you want to know why God gets involved in the affairs of men? He says this in Acts 17. So that men would seek him and perhaps find him, though he is not far from each of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. You see, our God is not a distant deity. He's not a long-distance father. No, he is with us. Because he's close, we're never alone. And there's something about being the presence of someone that's stronger than we are, right, that soothes our fears and melts our terror away, right? A child's fear after a terrible dream goes away when he's in the room with mom and dad. A boy confidently walks by the, the bullies who had beat him up because now his big brother's walking right beside him. Yeah, you want some of this? You want some of this, right? The wife who's had a terrible day when the whole world seems to be against her rests in the arms of her husband. The shepherd boy with just a sling faces a giant that has an entire army shaking in his boots because he knows Almighty God is with him. Now, understand. Throughout Scripture, God constantly reminds his people that he's with them. Deuteronomy 4, 7 says this. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And as I, in Isaiah 40, in the midst of all that great talk about oceans in his hand, bringing rulers to naught, stretching out the stars and all that, we read this. It's so powerful, comforting, and beautiful. This powerful God who breathes out galaxies. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads them that have young. And you got to love what the psalmist said in Psalm 139. I can never escape from your spirit. I, I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I, I could ask the darkness to hide me, 
and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as day, darkness and light are all the same to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Yes, our Father dwells in the heavens. He is as close as the air that we breathe. There's no place we can go that he's not near. And when, I, when Isaac was afraid, the Lord appeared to him and said, I'm the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid. I'm with you. When the prophet Jeremiah was afraid of the king of Babylon, God said, do not be afraid of him, for I am with you. Moses, in his farewell speech to God's people, as they're about to enter the promised land, said, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Jesus said, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Our Father's in the heavens. He's great, and our Father is near. And listen, our Father's greatness and his nearness is intended to shape us, and in so doing, change the way we live our lives. See, it, it was their belief in God's nearness and greatness that enabled many people in the Bible to do great things. It enabled David to step in the valley to face Goliath. God's greatness and nearness allowed Moses to lead God's people out of slavery. God's greatness and near, nearness enabled Esther on the line to save her people. His belief in God's nearness and greatness allowed Elijah to face 850 false prophets on Mount Carmel. Their belief in God's greatness and nearness allowed the disciples to change the world. Now, sure, over the years, you've seen a lot of people who, because of their belief in God's greatness and God's nearness, stood firm and secure, boldly, boldly put in their trust in Jesus as they battled cancer, or some other disease? You've seen people who, because of their belief in God's greatness and nearness, you've seen them move forward after a great loss in their life. You've seen people take risks. You've seen people battle difficulties and overcome addictions because they believe that God is great and that God is near. Amen? Our Father in heaven reminds us that our Father is great, our Father is near, and that there's more going on than our eyes can see. Back in 2013, we did a year-long series called The Story. Basically, an overview from Genesis to Revelation. Audio is still available if you want to check it out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, our website, still there from 2013. And one of the concepts we talked about in that series was this idea of an upper story and a lower story. Like the, the lower story is what you and I see from a six-foot level. And sometimes... Our lower story is not so good. And sometimes in our lower story, we lost our job. Sometimes in our lower story, we're battling a disease. Sometimes in our lower story, we're struggling in a relationship. We're battling a difficulty, right? It doesn't look so good. But while the lower story is going on, there is also an upper story. And the upper story 
is what's going on from God's point of view. And see, God sees things that, that, that we don't see, that we, we can't see from our level. And one illustration that I've always loved about this was D-Day. Like when D-Day, we all know what D-Day was, June 6th, you should know the date, right? June 6th, the guys are storming the beach, and the guys at the lower level, you know what they're saying? We're losing, we're losing, we're losing, we're losing. The guys in the air with the, saw the whole thing, you know what they were saying? We're winning, we're winning, we're winning, we're winning. See, there's always something going on beyond what our eyes can see. There's a greater reality than what our eyes can see. One of my favorite examples of this in Scripture is 2 Kings chapter 6. The king of Aram has sent his army to Dothan to kill Elisha. He sends his soldiers and chariots. They've completely surrounded the city. And we read this. 2 Kings 6, 15. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning, went outside, coffee in his hand, getting the morning paper, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha, don't be afraid, Elijah told him. For there are more on our side than on theirs. And he said, I see me and you. <laughs> then Elisha prayed, oh Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes and when he looked up, he saw the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. You see, they were there all along, but he just couldn't see what was going on. And, and what God did is gave him a perspective that there's more going on than just the physical, what we can see. Same thing happened four decades later in Isaiah chapter 6. We read this. In the year that King Uzziah died, he was king for 50 years. People were freaking out. <clears throat> New administration coming in. I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And, and, and what did Isaiah and people need to know? In a time of crisis in the nation, right? That who's still on his throne? God. And, and, and where's his glory? Is his glory just in the temple? Is his glory just in Jerusalem? No, his glory is where? His glory fills the entire earth. It still does. I don't know about you, sometimes when I look at our world and nation today, it's crazy. Like every day, like what's going to get more crazy? What's going to get more upside down? What, what's the next sins that's going to be endorsed by our world, right? It's just crazy. How much more violence and hatred can there be? It's just insane. God's still on his throne. And though you and I cannot see it, his glory fills the earth. He's the same God that can bring princes to naught and reduce rulers to nothing. Amen? I mean, it's so important for us to see and understand that there's more going on than what our eyes can see. There's a spiritual realm, and God is winning. And God is always winning, right? Always winning. You know, I, I think, how about you? 
I think if you look at my prayer sometimes, it's like I'm praying to myself. When I'm, the little things I, like, I think some guy got like, really? That's all you think of me? That's all you think I can do? I mean, God wants us to live our lives and to pray confidently. We are a child of the king of kings. We're a child of the one who breathed out the universe, and we walk around like we're defeated. We walk around like we don't have a God. We walk around like that God doesn't have any power, that he left his power in the Bible days, and he does nothing today. We live defeated life, anxious life, worried lives, fearful lives, and God goes, I'm here. I'm here, and I'm big, and I'm strong. I'm great, and I'm here. And even though right now where you're looking at, it doesn't look very good, God is always up to something. God's plan is always moving forward. Amen? Amen. Man, we need, we need to pray. I need to live and pray differently. Like the God I pray to breathes out stars. That's nuts. I mean, I, I, it's beyond no one can fathom, right? That's who you're praying to. Same God. Same God that created the world. The same God that took out Goliath, right? Same God that delivered Israel. The same God. Our Father who art in the heavens, who art great, who art near, and who art up to something all the time, in control, whose glory, no matter how crazy our world looks, still fills the earth. He's on his throne. Amen? Father God, we love you. God, forgive us for thinking so small of you. Forgive us for underestimating you. Forgive us for making you the last one we cry out to when we're in trouble, overwhelmed, struggling. God, help us to be a people who call out to you. God, help us to come together as our, and help us, God, to worship you, and help us, God, to live like your, your glory fills the earth. God, that you're on your throne, you're always be on your throne. God, God, help us make who you are your greatness and nearness, the foundation of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you guys would stand, we're gonna sing the song and